Today's episode is presented by Novavax. Novavax is a global leader in vaccine development and research. The company is working to make safe and effective vaccines available to help protect those who need them around the world. Novavax is also collaborating with leading organizations across the global vaccines landscape, including research institutions, government agencies, foundations, and industry to help ensure access and increase uptake of vaccines worldwide. Learn more at www.novavax.com. That high decibel count is the sound of a Taiwanese election rally in full throng. I'm in Taipei, the capital, where rival parties are battling it out in the final stint of the campaign as the country prepares to go to the polls for the presidential election on the 13th of January. And a lot is at stake for the country of 23 million people at the precarious juncture of the South and East China Seas. It's a place buffeted by geostrategic gusts as China maintains its claim on sovereignty. I'll be speaking to a prominent figure campaigning in the pro-independence party, hoping to win an unprecedented third term, as well as one of the main opposition parties, which sees security in closer links with Beijing. And we'll hear from the man who's about to head to Washington, D.C. as Taiwan's top diplomat, Alexander Yui. And he has this warning for the West. The threats are there, and we want to preserve our way of life we want to preserve our democracy, we want to preserve our liberties, and we will defend it if we are under threat. And we are under threat. The whole world just looks at it and says, well, yes, Taiwan, you know, you better do this and do that because if you don't do anything, you will end up like Ukraine. Welcome to Powerplay, Politico's transatlantic podcast, where I talk to some of the most influential figures on either side of the Atlantic. I headed straight to the new Taipei suburbs of the city outside the glitzy centre. And the ruling Democratic Progressive Party, or DPP for short, were holding a busy local event with the aim of getting the crowd to turn out to cast their vote in the national poll. Although many voters in this part of town typically cast their ballot for the KMT, which stands for Closer Relations with Beijing. It's a Saturday night. It's quite a big rally. Lots of music, lots of noise. We're on a backstage tour to go and see if we can find the president. I slightly nearly ended up on stage at a Taiwanese political rally there by mistake. Good to see you. Amid all the hubbub, I slipped backstage to meet Vincent Chow, one of the luminaries revving up the crowd. He's a leading figure in the DPP and a city councillor in this part of Taipei. Vincent's also a former political secretary at Taiwan's diplomatic mission in Washington, D.C., and a close watcher of election races on either side of the Pacific. So just arriving, and you were kind enough to invite me to come along to this rally pretty much straight from the airport. <laughs> I'm sure that was quite an experience. I mean. yeah, that really was, yeah. <laughs> Bumping around to, into the suburbs of the city on my first visit. And one of the things that surprised me, if you read the coverage in the last weeks, it looks a bit like the opposition broadly called the pro-China opposition. Yeah. Seems you've been having a very tough time. So why are you saying that it's still a hard campaign for you guys? Well, that's probably the understatement of the year. I mean, I think we saw a live public implosion of their hope to come together. And, and I think the differences ultimately were too much for them to overcome. 
But the truth of the matter is that we've always made a preparation for a head-to-head -head race. I mean, we've never expected that this would be a race that we would win easily. I think the forces that are stacked against us are manifold. I mean, obviously the DPP has been in government for eight years and we have to make a strong case why we deserve another four years. We have China's efforts to influence the election, whether through disinformation, whether through warmongering, or whether through uh, course of actions against the people of Taiwan. And so certainly we're, I think, in a head-to-head -head race right now with the KMT, but all of this is precisely within expectations, and it's why we've never stopped working uh, for a single minute throughout this campaign. And how are you seeing China's involvement, if there is in this campaign? There have been stories about attempted disinformation, but I, I don't want to be too cynical. That that's pretty much what you would expect, maybe, because we, we've seen that in many theatres before when China feels that it has a strategic interest. What's different this time? Well, certainly we know that the CCP has a vested interest uh, in Taiwan. They have a political objective here in Taiwan. And of course, our elections make us especially vulnerable to actions to influence or coerce um, our electoral process. I think right now what we're seeing is a much more sophisticated China. And they've grown much more, I think, confident in their abilities to influence our elections, not through military coercion or other overt means, but really through disinformation, through influencing public opinion, through controlling the information that people see, either through social media organizations like TikTok or through social media in general. And so throughout this campaign, we've seen that. I mean, we've seen stories that were ultimately proven to be false, ranging from the U.S. is asking the DPP to build bioweapon labs to just recently a full story that had simplified Chinese in this so-called evidence saying that the DPP government was eavesdropping on a number of political figures. And so, again, their actions have grown much more sophisticated, and that's what makes it so much more concerning this time around. Both sides are playing with the defense of Taiwan to an extent, aren't they, in the sense that if you're looking at it from the Chinese perspective, the mainland perspective, or, or their sympathizers, you're saying, oh, you this building up of defense and ramming this area of region full of defense bristling with weapons is warmongering and, and you're putting it the other way around that, the, that uh, the warmongers are sitting in Beijing. I mean, is that really an area where you can convince anyone who hasn't already made up their minds? <laughs> it's a very good question. To be honest, what we bring forward to the table is clarity. So we're clear about what the CCP wants. I mean, Xi Jinping has made very, very clear whether in 2019 when he released a seminal speech on the 40th anniversary of Letter Towards Taiwan Compatriots or just last year when he released this uh, new era white paper on resolving the Taiwan question. Uh, within both of these seminal uh, remarks, he's made clear that the ultimate goal of cross-trade engagements is unification. Unification is the only allowable outcome, peacefully possible, but by force if necessary. So with all of that in mind, um, our presidential candidate Lai Xinde understands that the best way to keep China at bay to keep our democracy secure is by pursuing a policy of number one, defense deterrence, number two, strengthening our economic resiliency, our economic security, number three, forging stronger international partnerships, and fourth, having a principled, consistent, and pragmatic position on cross-strait issues. People listening to you will get the idea that you've been in the, the States for a while, you have experience there, <laughs> don't you, in the political system. You just tell us briefly about that and how do you see particularly on that point of economic engagement, your chances of keeping the United States as engaged as you would like, particularly at a time whether on strategic interests like semiconductors, anything that is seen as sensitive. If anything, America is going for the home team first. Team USA, not Team Taiwan, as you've got on your jacket. 
Well, I mean, to be clear, so I, I was a diplomat posted in Washington, D.C. I led our political division in TechRow. I've worked on foreign policy issues for President Tsai Ing-wen for the past decade or so, before she became president, in fact. And I mean, we always have to be clear. I mean, diplomacy is going to be based on national interest. And I think what we're fortunate to see is that there's so much overlapping national interest and national values between Taiwan and the United States. I mean, democracy, freedom, they're not just comments. They're not just words. They represent what our people sincerely believe and hope to uphold. And in terms of interest, I mean, we all want to see peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. I mean, ultimately, if you place the U.S. first, that's what you want to see. If you place Taiwan first, that's what you want to see. 2024, big election year, obviously huge election year for Taiwan, other end of the uh, American elections. Do you feel as confident that you can keep that Taiwan-America bond, particularly in practicals when it comes to trade, when it comes to, and you're, you're, you're smiling already, the, the, you know which way I'm heading yeah, here. Yeah, sure. Actually, almost everyone who comes on this show gets this question. So, you know, how are you feeling about the prospect of a, a possible Donald Trump return to the White House? I mean, I served as political director in Tecro um, for two years under uh, working with the Trump administration. And so I will say this. I think one of the biggest values that we have in the U.S. is that we have strong bipartisan support. That's not going to change. We're not going to let that change. And so I'm not talking about just Congress, but I'm also talking about ex successive executive branch administrations and talking about the American public. And so from our perspective, we hope that never changes. And again, we're going to do everything in our power to ensure that support for Taiwan remains strong, bipartisan and consistent with our mutual interests and common values. Our listeners on the podcast will hear you talking this week. And then how much more campaign time do you have and what do you want to do with it? What's at stake in the last couple of weeks? Oh, God, it never ends. I mean, it's been a very, very long campaign, to be clear. I mean, we've been on the road, I would say, for the past uh, four or five months now. Uh, and certainly we're near the home stretch. We have 30 odd days. I mean, it's democracy. I mean, anything could change. So what we need to do is make sure that we're always on the road. We're always talking to people, shaking hands, making sure people hear our message. And ultimately, it's going to be a decision uh, that's going to come on January 13th. But we're confident that our message is one that resonates the most. And we're confident that ultimately people will choose Lai Ching-de for Taiwan's next president. Thank you very much indeed, Vincent. Thank you so much. What of the opposition parties trying to seize control of the presidency? I headed across town to speak to Alexander Huang, spokesman for KMT, the main opposition party. Its roots are in the Chinese nationalist movement after the Second World War and the legacy of Chiang Kai-shek, the statesman who ruled Taiwan largely unopposed for over 25 years until he died in 1975. Today, the party stands for a closer relationship with the communist regime in mainland China. But what does that mean at a time of rising tension between Beijing and Washington? Dr. Wang, when I walked into your office among all of those flags, we're in full election mode here. You gave me a very interesting welcome. What was it? Welcome to the most dangerous place on earth. Why is it the most dangerous place on earth? I think Taiwan is situated at the center point of the first island chain. Taiwan is also at the front line of the Western Pacific. Taiwan serves as a gatekeeper for the liberal democracy that we love and very dear in our heart. And what do you think the status of the threat is in the sense that you are a party more for conciliation 
with Beijing than the DPP, the ruling party. How do you assess the situation with Beijing at the moment and the risk if you do see a risk? We believe that in the past several years, especially since the strategic competition between Washington and Beijing started, Taiwan and the related area has been a contested place, a location with a lot of military activities near our homeland. We have even worse situation is that when the Taiwan current government had no direct communication with the other side. So for eight years. You mean with Beijing? With Beijing. So uh, not on regular conversation, but even the current government does not have the ability to deal with unintended incidents. What would KMT-led government change in relations with China? How would it address that security gap that you reference? Because I'm not totally sure whether you think there is a threat from China or whether there isn't. There is a threat and unprecedented uh, coercive measures against Taiwan. Uh, Ten years ago, there were rarely that the Chinese fighter jets or warships will cross the median line of the Taiwan Strait. Right now, they encircle Taiwan under the name of Combat Readiness Patrol and to the 24 nautical miles parameter. So this change in the past two years had alerted Taiwanese that we are under a great military threat. The KMT's position in dealing with this uh, geopolitical challenge uh, are two. First is deterrence without provocation. The second, assurance without appeasement. That's the guidance of our policy. To it's a bit of a paradox. We live in the paradox because we are here and we have to deal with that. So in concrete terms, what do you think would change if you were to be elected, if KMT were to win the elections? When you talk about reassurance and about not provoking China, some people would say, well, you're kind of just accepting that China poses a threat. What would you be able to demand from Beijing in return for softening the Taiwanese position? If you are not able to communicate your view with your adversary, how can you change that? There's zero opportunity. So what if elected, what we need to do is to send Beijing a signal that Taiwan will be governed by a political party that opposed Taiwan independence by nature in the next four years at least. That's voting result could be an assurance. Second, we wanted to resume the communications between the Straits Exchange Foundation of Taiwan and the Association of the Relations Across the Taiwan Strait, a semi-governmental agencies, to deal with the issues such as 
the civilian direct flight destinations. We want to talk about the inappropriate sanctions of China against Taiwan's agricultural and fishery exports. We want to talk about the climate issues because of our close vicinity. If China does not address the air pollution and other issues, we are the first line being affected. So what in our mind is the resumption of the dialogue over the issues that very close to the interest of our population. We are not getting into any political dialogue with Beijing. You started by telling us that we were in the most dangerous place on earth. If, if we I- choose the wrong party. It's certainly an election mode here. How high in roughly percentage terms do you judge the risk Let's say if there's a continuation by the ruling party, the DPP, of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan in the next years. I think if I can give you a diplomatic answer, but uh, as a specialist in the People's Liberation Army and a defense policy expert, I would say that you won't see a full-fledged kinetic invasion of China on Taiwan anytime soon. Anytime soon being how long? I would say in the next five years, if we get our policy right, it would not trigger because I believe a a full-scale invasion on Taiwan would be the last choice for Beijing. Beijing has so many items in their toolbox Look at the coercive measures against Taiwan in recent years. China can continue to exercise that coercion. That's why this is a most dangerous place. But only if we play our cards right, we can prevent that. You're running behind in the polls when I speak to DPP senior folk, they feel reasonably confident that they're going to win. What makes you think that KMT can catch up? If you asked me uh, the same question a month ago, I would stop and uh, don't know how to respond. But uh, I'm happy you are asking me the same question now. I think we are, according to all the publicly available polls, Our support rate is within the margin of error, and we have 30 days to go. It's less than 5%, I'm confident. Thank you very much indeed for your insights, Dr. Huang. Thank you very much. Coming up on PowerPlay, I'll be speaking to Alexander Yui, who's heading to Washington, D.C. as Taiwan's top diplomatic envoy to the U.S., And we have our own decipher at a hand, Stuart Lau, co-author of Politico's China Watcher newsletter. A message from Novavax. Novavax is a global leader in vaccine development and research. The company is working to make safe and effective vaccines available to help protect those who need them around the world. 
The company's vaccine technology is built on a protein-based platform and combines the power of a well-understood approach with an innovative nanoparticle technology. It is intended to help protect against some of the world's most pressing viral diseases, including COVID-19 and influenza. Novavax is collaborating with leading organizations across the global vaccines landscape, including research institutions, government agencies, foundations, and industry, to help ensure access and increase uptake of vaccines worldwide. Because protecting one of us can help protect all of us. Learn more at www.novavax.com. Welcome back to Powerplay. We've heard from some of the key players in Taiwan's election campaign, so now let's hear a bit more about how the country's diplomatic relationships are playing out on the global stage. Alexander Yui is about to become Taiwan's most important diplomat in Washington, D.C., having served as the envoy to the European Union. Before I headed to Taiwan, I caught up with him in his office in Brussels, where we were joined by Politico Stuart Lau over generous cups of tea. You're heading to Washington, D.C. You're going to be taking up the most important diplomatic posting, having served in Brussels for the last few months and the eyes of the world watching Taiwan as it heads into elections in a few weeks' time. How important do you see the support of the U.S. being at this crucial time and what's at stake? Well, first of all, um, Taiwan-U.S. relations is a very important part of our foreign relations um, sitting here in Brussels, I, I don't think I'll say that this is, the U.S. post is the most important. I don't think the Europeans are very happy listening to that. <laughs> but We uh, usually annoy someone on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but uh, U.S. time relations is, is one of our priorities, obviously. Uh, so from Taiwan and from the United States, you've been hearing uh, quite frequently when they describe U.S. Taiwan relations as rock solid. And that is, I think, this, the status of our relations within Taiwan and the United States. Obviously, the um, United States, as well as many we call like-minded countries, democratically inclined countries, are very concerned about Taiwan's current situation, you know, facing these threats and aggressions from mainland China. And so U.S. plays a very important part in our you know, security and foreign affairs. How seriously do you take that threat of a possible invasion by mainland China, would it be an exaggeration to say that when you're in this post, you will wake up most days or weeks thinking this could happen? For the Taiwanese, for people in Taiwan, we grew up under PRC's threats forever. as has been part of our you know, everyday life. So the fact that they're threatening us is not new. Obviously, since last year, since um, U.S. Congress Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan in August last year, it has become more visible, more frequent. But whether that is imminent, right now, if you say if it's imminent, not in the near future, but the possibility, of of course there is. The PRC are trying very seriously, training, preparing very seriously to have the ability to invade Taiwan. And so that's why United States and many friendly countries such as Japan, Australia, and also, they're increasing their capabilities to, in the Pacific to defend against possible aggressions. So, so are we, Taiwan, doing the same. We are increasing our defense capabilities. I want to stress defense capabilities 
to confront any possible wishes in the future. Now, let's look into these uh, elections because they are sure. all happening oh. at a very decisive time. How do you see the likelihood of this electoral landscape materially changing the situation vis-à-vis Taiwan's security? And there are candidates in Taiwan who feel differently about this. So a lot seems rather too much maybe to be riding on the re-election of one party to defend this. Therefore, I ask you, is there a risk in these elections and what is it? Whoever wins the elections in January... And again, anyone can win because this is a free election. You know. We can expect that the Chinese pressure on Taiwan will increase considerably between January 13th and May 20th, which is the day our new president is inaugurated. They will try to maximum pressure so that the new president-elect will yield to the Chinese demands so that in his speech, May 20th, it will include conciliatory content towards the Chinese demands. That would be very uncomfortable for you if another party of a more pro-Chinese party were to win the election, when you were coming into post as a diplomatic envoy, obviously with a very strong position of your own. Well, no, the thing is, again, in my opinion, even if KMT candidate wins or the TPP candidate wins, the Chinese will want the new president to yield to Chinese demands because that's what they want. Obviously, they will give us some, uh, you know, leeway or oh, lift sanctions on fruits. But, I mean, all these sanctions prohibitions are officially created by them. Let's talk about the American response to what you see as being likely to be heightened pressure in the months after the election coming up. Now, there's been some confusion about President Biden's comments over defending Taiwan come what may, instead of using that more traditional formula of strategic ambiguity, which has, of course, got so many levels of ambiguity, it probably takes a very seasoned diplomat to really work a way through that. But there was a perception there of of a little bit of confusion. How do you read it? And how strong do you believe the American commitment is? And do you think that is in question, given that there are many other pressures on America and the world at the moment, many other claims on the Biden administration's time and efforts and its election. What I can say is, uh, obviously, our communication, our coordination with the U.S. administration is very close, is very uh, is constant. And as the officials have repeatedly said, you know, they abide by the Taiwan Relations Act. You know, they have responsibility to legally bind it, but, you know, to uh, reassure Taiwan's capability to defend ourselves. And that is what we have seen in light of uh, this added aggressions or you know, animosity of PRC towards Taiwan. And we're also doing our part to increase our capability to show our friends that we are determined to safeguard our own homeland, that this well, is our responsibility yeah. then, and we'll do it. The friends will help us. Very welcome. Well, exactly. But that is a point on which views do differ. They differ, of course, most radically if you look to Beijing. Taiwan independence means war. The Taiwanese people need to be aware of the fact that those who work for Taiwanese independence are troublemakers and war makers, said Chen Binhua, the spokesman of Beijing's Taiwan Affairs Office. The attempt there seems to be to raise the temperature and say that the more you send the message of strong defence the more you are seen to be part of, Taiwanese seem to be playing into a kind of arms race and the price of that. 
could be raising the risk threshold. Well, look at who who is the one who is who started this? Who's the one who started sending planes and you know, attack planes and aircraft carriers to you know circle around Taiwan and and make all people nervous, even in the South China Seas and the Philippines and you know. There will be people who say that the more that you you know if you push more weapons, more kind of military response into. A cauldron into a pressure cooker. You can also unintentionally, even if the aggressor is morally to blame. That's not really always the whole point, is it? I mean, the the architect who has just left us, uh, Henry Kissinger, of realpolitik. You know, there was also a very Kissingerian view that you were always rather careful about how you proceed, even if it's a defensive measure, towards a potentially aggressive power of the might and potential destructive might of China. Look at. Ukraine. Obviously, we're not exactly the same, but the Russian invasion to Ukraine sort of like a possible mirror to Taiwan. Ukraine is facing, a, you know, an attack from a much larger country. But 2014, when Crimea was annexed by the Russians and Donbas and you know, the region, etc., Ukraine started to make defensive preparations because they started worried that. You know, the Russians would, or probably would, go further. So they started making preparations. At that point in 2014, would you have suggested to Ukrainians not to, not to beef up their defenses because it might anger Russia into further escalation? Well, that's the same with Taiwan. We have already been for several decades under Chinese threats. And there has been attempts in the 50s to invade Taiwan. Uh, they failed. Xi Jinping has said that he wants to find the general solution to the Taiwan problem eventually, and he has stated also many times that he wants to be the one, the leader in China, to solve the Taiwan issue. So the threats are there, and we want to preserve our way of life. We want to preserve our democracy. We want to preserve our liberties, and we will defend it if we are under threat. And we are under threat. The whole world just looks at it and says, well, yes, Taiwan, you know, you better do this and do that because if you don't do anything, you'll end up like Ukraine. But don't you worry that the American public is becoming war fatigued with the conflict in Ukraine? You draw that comparison. I wonder whether that is always as helpful to Taiwan's case as you're suggesting. Because if tensions rise this year, obviously we're very worried uh, publics in, the, in a lot of the democracies and also across the Middle East, a very complex picture there. Sure, of, unfortunately. Uh, very unfortunately on what is happening in Israel and Gaza. But the war fatigue could also apply perhaps to Taiwan's situation. Is that a worry for you? Well, it's our own country. We'll defend our homeland uh, to the best that we can. We will beef off, prepare for any eventual possible attacks from outside uh, interference and offensive against Taiwan. For friends to help us is desirable. But I also I must say that the, the ambitions of the PRC is not only about Taiwan. Xi Jinping himself has said it. He wants to realize this big China dream, you know. China being the big, powerful country. And I also mentioned, you know, the intentions to become the number one world power. Beyond Taiwan, you know, that's why you see the conflicts with Japan, the conflicts with the South China Sea, with the Philippines, and, you know, on other bases in the Middle East and expanding to the South South Pacific, etc. So so they have grander ambitions. They have almost 700 naval ships. 
And China doesn't need 700 naval ships and four aircraft carriers to guard their coastal areas. So, so they what, have larger what stops, ambitions. What keeps presidency in check then? Your suggestion seems to be, if I understand you correctly, you think he actively would like to take over Taiwan. What stops him? Well, that's what, what I'll be doing in the United States. Obviously, well, it's a little different, but we've been telling our friends here in Europe that the best defense, best help that you can do for Taiwan against the possible invasion of PRC against Taiwan is by actively, openly voicing your concerns about that you will not accept Chinese aggression towards Taiwan, that Europe will not stand by, stand, you know, not look at the other way if this aggression starts or it happens. That, that's why you've seen resolutions in the European Parliament comments uh, by the EU commissioner, council president, statements in the G7, UK uh, prime minister and US presidents, you know, statements when, whenever they have bilaterals, etc., etc. Over and over, the statements about Taiwan's peace security of Taiwan Straits and the maintenance of status quo because it is relevant not only to Taiwan but to the world peace and quiet and also possible trade disruption. So that's why it's relevant to everyone. I'm going to hand over to my colleague, uh, Stuart Lau, who's, uh, as you know, one of sure, uh, the sure, uh, amazing yes. authors of, uh, of our coverage of our China Watch uh, paybook and also knows Taiwan very well. Just in case he'd like to pick up on anything from our conversation, before I retire to drink my tea, you here in the doing beautifully in the corner we ask pretty much every guest on the show this question so here's a last one from me who would you like to hear on power play i hope we could count you as a listener when you're in washington who else would you like to hear in this hot seat i would like to hear you interview the next president of taiwan whoever he is because this time they're all male but i'd like to hear our next president being interviewed by you next time Thank you. We like to use our very esteemed guests as our booking service. So there you go. We will okay. certainly uh, follow up that bid. And thank you very much indeed no, for the conversation. Stuart's about to come and join please, us. Please. Thank you very much. And perhaps I'll just pick up on a couple of questions. You'll be stepping into the shoes of a very esteemed ambassador, Bikim Xiao, sure. who is now the vice presidential candidate. She calls herself a cat warrior because yes. she's known for having keeping four she, cats. She loves cats. She has four. She had. She, it's already back in Taiwan, I guess. Four cats. Yes. What kind of warrior are you? <laughs> uh, I'm a diplomat. You know, I'm a, for, a foreign service officer. But I, I've always prided myself, you know, as uh, a soldier or an officer, uh, military. Where my uniform is my suit and tie. I equate myself as with the military because we are fighting a war against, you know, some enemies. The war between Taiwan and mainland China militarily is probably ceased in the 50s, but the diplomatic war has continued ever since. So I, I pride myself, describe myself as just like a soldier, but wearing my uniform is my suit and tie and my pen <laughs> just one last question soon enough you'll be in dc when you bump into the chinese ambassador to the u.s Feng. what are you going to tell him i'll say hi my name is alexander yuri nice to meet you <laughs> i don't think he'll be a uh, very i don't know if we'll ever meet uh, well you know we maybe accidentally bumped into each other but us diplomats have a, have a very elegant way of 
you know, sort of dancing ballets when we are in the same room. So, so I don't know if I'll ever talk to him. We're, we're diplomats, you know, and we should be able to talk if need so, because that's our work. Thank you very much for that, Ambassador. No, it's a pleasure to always talk to Politico, and um, I'm happy to have this opportunity to express the views on Taiwan. To take stock of my conversation with Alexander Yui, Stuart Lau, author of Politico's China Watcher newsletter, joins me again. Stuart, welcome back to Power Play. Thanks for having me, Anne. You obviously revealed the ambassador's inner warrior with your good question, and it did say something for me quite profound about the way that he and the government in Taipei sees its position towards Beijing. That sense of being on constant alert came across to me. What did you make of it? Absolutely, um, the sort of diplomatic pressure facing Taiwan has been growing over the last few years. With the outgoing President Tsai, um, China has made it very clear that the current Taiwanese administration no longer abides by the cross-strait understanding between Beijing and Taipei in the previous decade or so. So obviously, China has been doing a lot on the international arena. Um, for example, by prohibiting its participation in World Health Organization meetings. Or by peeling off the last remaining few diplomatic allies that Taiwan still keeps. So in this context, absolutely, Taiwanese diplomats seem to be on the on the charm offensive, but also also on the defensive mode in the sense that they are under so much diplomatic pressure. And so I'm not surprised at all by what he said and how he describes his role. And what struck you about his plea to the U.S. and the West not to look the other way in the face of? potential Chinese aggression. That was his phrasing, the looking the other way idea. Do you think that there are worries there, despite the strong rhetorical support for Taiwan? We can see how things can just peel away when it comes to the Ukraine crisis. Is that his worry? There's definitely worry in Taiwan about what exactly the Western world would do if they're invaded. Take the US, for example. I mean, we're going to have the next US election for the next president in just a few months' time. So if Trump comes back to power, of course, there's a lot of uncertainty about his exact role when it comes to Chinese invasion of Taiwan, what the U.S. would do in terms of all the defense commitments that we've been hearing. And the bigger question, of course, you know, when Alexander Yu did the interview, he was in Brussels. And of course, as we know very well, you know, Europe has not been very active and very involved Militarily, in terms of Taiwanese defense, there's no commitment like uh, you see between Washington and Taipei. And uh, Europe is also very close to China economically. So obviously, there's a lot of question from the diplomat on what the European reaction would be. And where do you think this election is heading as we go into the final weeks of the campaign? I got the impression, talking to Vincent Chow, I was speaking with at a rally, there's a pretty comfortable sense in the ruling party. But the polls are reasonably narrow. And I think it's probably quite hard to read what happens once you get into these two to three weeks leading up to the actual vote when things become a bit of a black box in terms of the information that you can get hold of. So how do you read this? Absolutely. Uh, In Taiwanese politics, you know, it's always until the very last days that you see a clearer picture about where things will be going. Last time around, you know, when Chai Ing-wen was not supposed, was not really leading in the poll, 
Uh, suddenly there was the Hong Kong protest and there was such a deep worry among the Taiwanese voters about, oh, we don't want to become the next Hong Kong and let's, you know, rethink our voting strategy. And then back in the early 2000s, there was also gun incidents, you know, about presidential candidate getting shot at. And so, you know, there could be so many variables in the election polls. I mean, this time around, China has been quite smart in not saying a lot of things, doing a lot of things to upset the Taiwanese public. For example, there's no more military escalation around the Taiwan Strait at this point, like you saw uh, when the US Speaker Pelosi was visiting Taiwan or shortly thereafter. And so we'll still wait to see, you know, how the voters might be influenced one way or the other towards the very end of the election. At this stage, no one can say for sure how comfortable or uncomfortable either side should be. And I've been speaking to both of the main parties on my visit to Taiwan. How do you think the West, and particularly the US, which really is the crucible of the West's response to Taiwan and its relationship with China, how do you think it would differ if the ruling party, that very strong pro-independence force, retained power, or if indeed power were to pass to more pro-Chinese forces? Well, I've talked to some U.S. officials and they also said that they have been in contact, of course, with both camps, as you can imagine. And their observation generally is that uh, Lai Ching-te, the ones trying to succeed Chai Ing-wen to be the Taiwanese president from the DPP side, um, the pro-independence, so to say, I think, you know, they're quite satisfied with the fact that he made it clear that there is no plan to declare independence. And of course, you know, in life words, that's because Taiwan is already an independent entity. And that means that there's no need to declare independence and take such a step to antagonize Beijing and lead to uncertainties. So that is the logic. So I think what's really unpredictable for all sides right now is how Beijing reacts to another DPP president, which would be the third time for this party to be in power, as opposed to the more China-friendly, if you like, parties such as the KMT. This is going to be a first in Taiwanese history if the DPP candidate wins again. And whether Beijing would react as business as usual or whether they're going to step up the diplomatic, if not military pressure, I think that's where the biggest uncertainty comes in. People are also pointing out a particularly unpredictable period between the January election and the inauguration in May. So that's also the time period where we'll see how unhappy Beijing will be if a DPP candidate wins. Stuart, thank you very much indeed for joining us to throw some light on Taiwanese politics. Thank you and have a nice trip in Taiwan. Thank you to Stuart and that's all from Powerplay in 2023. My personal thanks to you for joining us since we launched in September. Do spread the word about us as we head into a mammoth election year in 2024, from Taiwan to Brussels and the UK and, of course, the US. It's certainly been an eventful four months. We've heard from prime ministers, presidential envoys, designers and diplomats. And we'll be back with a bumper New Year edition on the 4th of January. Be sure to join us then. If you haven't already, please take a moment now to follow PowerPlay wherever you're listening. We're available on all major podcast platforms. And if you'd like to get in touch directly with our team from wherever you are, you can email us powerplay at politico.eu. It's been great to have you alongside as we've zipped around the world. 
to look at how power is changing. So for me in the South China Seas, have happy holidays or Ming Yin Jen, a great new year. My producer is Peter Snowden, the executive producer, Christina Gonzalez. See you in 2024. A message from Novavax. Novavax is a global leader in vaccine development and research. The company is working to make safe and effective vaccines available to help protect those who need them around the world. Novavax is also collaborating with leading organizations across the global vaccines landscape, including research institutions, government agencies, foundations, and industry to help ensure access and increase uptake of vaccines worldwide. Learn more at www.novavax.com.